Hey there, dear listener. Welcome to My Favorite Cantrip. Thanks for listening. I'm Lance, otherwise known as Destiny Manifest, and I'm here just to give you a couple of announcements before this week's episode. First, we wanted to say, hey, thanks for giving us reviews, everybody. From now on, if you give us a five-star review, we're going to give you a shout-out on the podcast. Let us know which character you want us to shout out your name from, or whether you want that to be me, Destiny Manifest, or Reagan, the goddess divine. Also, I wanted to let you know that our Patreon is going great. It's how we support this podcast. It's how we're able to keep putting out great bonus content every month for the Patreon subscribers, and also to keep doing this every week. We really love doing it, and we couldn't do it without your support. So please go to patreon.com, my favorite cantrip. And you know, if you want to just give us a nod or a hey, what's up, you can see us at Twitter, at MyFaveCamTrip. Go to Instagram, Destiny underscore Manifest, or underscore The Goddess Divine. Go to the website, MyFavoriteCantrip.com. We have merch there, t-shirts. In fact, you might even see They Who Loom there themselves. So again, everybody, just wanted to thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for your reviews. Give us a five star and we'll give you a shout out. Look forward to seeing you soon. Take care. This is a weird mimosa. check failed and you're all alone there's only one action to take well maybe two it's a bonus action when the goblins are all around your rogue is dead and the cleric is down it's time to bust out and cast my favorite cantrip my favorite cantrip the one that makes you slow down my favorite cantrip go zip bit bang fizzle and boom my favorite cantrip shoot sparks and colored lights my favorite cantrip makes dope sounds in the room your sidekick has run far away your familiar's been sent back wild to the fey there's only one course to take make colored sparks and a hasty retreat Toll the bell and run like hell And pray to all the gods For my favorite cantrip You just heard the cat. He's coming for you. For me? For you. Is he going to eat my eyeballs? Probably. Is he going to claw out my nose? He might. He's definitely going to eat your eyeballs, though. Cool. Cool, yeah. cool, cool, cool. Cool, cool. <laughs> hey, Reagan. Yeah. Dear listener. Dear reader. It's time for a Talking Heads. What? How many heads do we have tonight, Lance? 
Don't you look at me like that. It's a lot of things that occurred to me to say right uh-huh. then and there. I think we'll just uh-huh. let uh-huh. We'll just let that lay. Will we? Yeah. Going to let it lie? Just going to let it lay there. Lay, lady, lay. Some of my favorite lyrics right Aren't there. Aren't they, though? Aren't <laughs> they, though? And the cat's now running around on, on the electronic keyboard and over there, crying. too. So, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. gonna be that's gonna be fun to edit. Oh boy! So we have Mrs. Fox and what is he? Gray baby? Whoa! <laughs> I think it's gray baby now, even though that's creepy. It is totally creepy. Hey, dear listener. Hey, dear reader. Welcome to my favorite cantrip. It's time for talking heads again. Uh huh. <laughs> hey, we do have a couple questions, kind of topics of conversation that we were topical. Thinking. Oh, like an ointment. <laughs> We've got a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. That's what we are, ladies and gentlemen. That is now going on our show description. <laughs> non-steroidal. We are an NSAID, Yes. What are you doing, cat? Gray baby this, wants to be a talking this head. Cat just wants in. Anyway. Yes. We've got a couple of topics of conversation. We thought we'd uh, discuss with you guys tonight. Let's do it. Are you cool with that? I mean. I'm cool with it. Well, I'm not asking Ho- you. Hopefully the readers are Are you cool, cool with that, it. dear listeners? Well, are you? Sounds good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think they're cool. Cool, cool. Yeah, okay. right on. So what are we going to talk about tonight, Lance? Well, um, Reagan, you had brought up a, a, a topic earlier today that I thought was particularly compelling. That was only for you, Lance. It was, you, Shh. Oh, the other topic oh, that you brought oh, up earlier today. Oh, gosh. The, the crucial topic, Reagan. Crucial. Crucial. <laughs> you know. Crucial. The crucial topic. Oh, ah. Oh, ah. Yeah, which is um, kind of a discussion on, on world building. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, dear reader, here on My Favorite Cantrip, this is an anthology playcast. Yes. And uh, we create a lot of worlds for this. So many worlds. For this show. I mean, I think you're going to need some color-coded tabs if you keep listening to the show. Uh, Yeah, between the bonus content on Patreon and what's going out on the main feed, we have, what, eight worlds? Eight worlds so far. So far. Yep. Well, technically nine if you count the world of homebrew country. Hmm. That's a world that just exists on its own. We don't create that, (laughs) Reagan. That's a plane. What is it? A planar pocket? Yeah, a it's po- a de- no, it's a pocket universe. It's a yes. demiplane for sure. Yes, yes. Uh, that that kind of creates itself. Really, <laughs> I, I think uh, they who loom has a, a great hand in the <laughs> creation of that particular demiplane. But okay, so eight point five. That being the case, uh, we are often asked, "How do you come up with so many? How are you so prolific?" How, how does the mind <laughs> stew? When people are coming up to us for our autographs. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, how when does, we're chased down the streets of our Kentucky home. How does the mind <laughs> stew that ferments in the little tin can of your brain pop out the vegetable soup of these worlds so what frequently? What is the kimchi process? Uh, that is a different question for a different day because that depends on uh, which plane of existence mm. because it's, as you can imagine, kimchi is completely different in the Feywild. That's a really good point. Than it is on the material okay. plane. Okay, okay, nailed it. Uh, kimchi is li- literally alive <laughs> on the Feywild. It will speak to you while you consume it. It'll smack you right in the face. Yeah, It'll just be like, hey, you looking at me? I'm kimchi. Right. And then you've got a smack in the face and, and it bubbles. A, a bubbly, fuzzy smack in the face. 
what has happened Dear to listener, our conversation? I think we've just described how we come up with, with, with worlds. I think that topic's done. There we go. We Nailed just it. start a conversation and just riff on it. And Until it we find something we like. And then one of us goes, oh my God, and runs into another room where we start frantically paging through books to find ways to tie it to mechanics and to make it fleshed well, that's out. What and then Reagan we build uh, maps. That's what Reagan does. What I do is I sit in my room and I stare in the corner with my mouth slackly open and just build a mind palace from my mind stew. Well, while he's got kimchi building in his mind stew from his mind palace. Yeah, he's just staring at the wall now. He's world building right this minute. Um, I am frantically researching and dog-earing pages and Look, color coding and creating index cards. When you come up against kimchi, the big bad... <laughs> Don't be surprised, okay? It's, it's coming now. It is coming now. One and of my characters will have to face down Feywild Kimchi. And it's served by the Allium folk. No! Yep. Yep. Going to have to fight all them garlics. <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to cook a meat up. little Jimmy? <laughs> Eat okay, me here first. we are in our little self-referential uh, gyre. Let's <laughs> let's get back to the topic at hand. What is that topic, Lance? Is it your recipe for kimchi? No. You brought it up earlier today. How does that process of building a, a new world, not continuing mm-hmm. in one that you've already started, right. what does that look like for you? Is it is it inspiration? Does does it just strike you like a bolt out of the blue? Do you uh, read something that spurs something? Do you go do research? What, what does that look like for the goddess of Well, so that is a very yes, Andy kind of question. Um, and I don't mean yes, comma, Andy. I, I was going to say, who yes, the fuck is Andy? And, and what is he doing here? Oh, hey, Andy. So in that, in I do all those things. It depends. And hang on, let me explain. Oh, boy. Sometimes I have a world in my mind and I want to, I want to offer it. Like I've got Where does something. Where that come from? My, my mind palace. We've already brought it. Mind palace. It just pops up yeah, in the ferment like there'll of be your something, brain. Usually there will be something that I've been kind of cooking on for a while. Oh. And I'm like, that's an interesting idea. Where would that exist? Blah, 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 blah. And sometimes... Kimchi <laughs> is, the, is the god of inspiration. Because as kimchi is fermented, the ferment of your brain that pops up ideas... We're creating a pantheon as we speak. Please, just right now. Continue. Just right now, it's yeah. happening. Yeah. But then sometimes I'll have like just the tiniest little nibble of an idea, and I will, I will formulate that. I will use it as the uh, the fermenting base through which things can bubble. Because like, and and where does that little nugget come from, though? Does it just occur to you? It just drops into your dreams. What what happens there? I've had. I've had that happen. Yeah. Literally, I've had a dream about something mm. and written a world around it. Wow. Like, I have literally had that. In fact... Can you tell me which one? I have a color-coded post-it note in the other room <laughs> with a dream idea that Guys, I had. Guys, this is true. She ain't making yeah, that up. No, I, that is not an exaggeration. It is on my... Oh my God, I'm going to out myself so bad. It is on my whiteboard wall um, in the color-coded section that is my creative stuff that I had a dream where I woke up and I wrote this concept down and Mm -hmm. I haven't found a world to build around it. But yeah, I I have. So you've had had that happen, but it's not out there yet. Not that one. No. And then, you know, so they come from all kinds of things. Sometimes I'll be watching something or reading something Mm -hmm. and go, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, the noir campaign that we've been 
kind of playing yeah, with Yeah, dear it listener, we put up one episode about a month and a half ago as a, as a bonus episode. Uh, you can go back and listen to it. The rest of it's up, uh, going to be up on Patreon. So my noir world started with us seeing a... We watched a movie that had a reference to noir, and I was like, I'm going to do a noir campaign. What movie was that? I... I vaguely remember it was not really a noir it movie. It was but not a noir I, movie, but you and it I were just had sitting down a, to watch something, and I don't remember what it was. I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was an episode of something that had a noir nod or something in mm. it. But it made me think that, and then I watched a few more noir films and went from there to go. Okay, these are the things I'm interested in. These are the things that I'm not. And then what happened was I sat down and I was like, "Well, what would this world look like?" The next thing you know, I had a map with a gridded street system and I started building the neighborhoods and then off of that the Roscovan was built. That's not my normal approach, but that does happen sometimes. So, you know. Now some of the other worlds that, that you've built mm-hmm. and we I'm interested in exploring your process at the moment. I know that we both do this for, for our duet play for the podcast where, you know, one of the other of us will maybe have a character idea come about. And then from that, we'll kind of build the world based right. on, on the character right. idea. And uh, I know I've done that for Itrian. Right. Uh, I, I hadn't really had much of a... Has that happened for you as well, where maybe I've come with some character ideas and then you've kind of built something that maybe you hadn't thought that you would do? Yeah. And does yeah. it take on a life of its own after that happens? I would say the answer to that is always that it always takes on a life of its own. It's always yes. There's never a time where a world doesn't take on a life of its own. Never? So, not ever. And sometimes you try to prevent it from taking mm. on its li- a life of its own and that's when it reminds you that it can also bitch slap you like mm. kimchi. Uskar's world came off of one thing you said to me, which is that you wanted a samovar. And so we had to start in a place that was really tea heavy. Now, did I say I wanted a samovar or did I say I want to create an artificer who drinks tea who has a samovar as a homunculus? Or did that come later? No, that came later. Okay. You said that you, you did. It was artificer that had a samovar yeah. that later becomes a homunculus. Now, you didn't say anything about him drinking tea. Uh, and in fact, I was surprised to learn right. that he enjoys tea. I wasn't sure that those two things right. were inclusive of one another so that that kind Uskar of is a bit russian though just a little bit yeah, yeah. i mean he could have yeah. i mean maybe he drinks vodka he might out be of his Ukraine. he could be anyway i wanted a world in which it was possible for him to easily access a samovar because i love that idea yeah. so that world is growing not so much out of like a fully realized concept, but out of a conversation we had that delighted me Mm -hmm. and made me go, I want to start in this place. Um, Twinkle is a little bit different in that I have a few concepts, but it's more a, a feeling of a world than it is like I couldn't sit down and give you a map of her mm-hmm. world. At this right. moment, I couldn't even tell you what her world is called because I haven't formed it that much. But I wanted to have a specific feeling because there was something that we knew we were going for with her. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I find that that feeling of a world, TM, uh, <laughs> is really more important than the name of it and right. continents and, and all that kind of thing. What is the mood? What is the... Uh, Je ne sais quoi. What is the... Because that's what projects into the gameplay 
the name can be, as we've proven time and time again, you know, names can be Bob, Charlie, yeah. Bill. You know, you can call that place Green... But by God, you can call it name every single random NPC or you will get called out by that. That is very true. Worlds don't need a name, but every NPC you create has to have a name. I think there's a lesson there, Reagan, for all of us in life. I, I'm actually not joking. I, I'm very, being very serious that uh, the names of, of people hmm. uh, and the personalities of, of people, people need names. Places don't necessarily, particularly yeah. if you have a visceral feeling associated with that place. Uh, you can have a visceral feeling associated with a person too, but I guarantee you still know their name. Um, well, and you just brought up a really good point, which is how many places in the native tongue of the place just mean either home right. or the place. The place, the land. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's very true. So I want to say one... To your listener, like we do. Yes. We've gone deep. We've gone deep. Um, Hatterai and Boric was different because Hatterai and Boric had a place that needed to exist it, it very concretely. Now, jungles are big and complicated and have all kinds of stuff in them, mm -hmm. which is why jungle settings are so fun because they can be incredibly varied while also still remaining the jungle. Yeah. But you and I both have a real sweet tooth for South American Amazonian type jungles. We do, we do. And so if given an opportunity, if either one of us says jungle, you kind of know that's where we're going because both of us like it so well, much. Well, I think, and we talk a lot about Hatterai and Boric. I, I think clearly that's a, a storyline, a campaign that, that we're both really interested in. I, I find it very interesting that, that you say that. We both do have a jungle interest, but in my mind, um, when I created Hatterai and Boric, I had much less of a character in mind than I had a place in mind. Mm. And I think I've mentioned before that, that a lot of what I envision, I envision the world of, of Hatterai and Boric in my head. And when I kind of said, this is the character that I'm looking at, I, I use those references. And, and um, you know, the whole, the whole Michael Moorcock, Elric kind of, you know, last of a dying empire in the jungle kind of thing is... is in, in ziggurats and temples and I'll say you 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 took that and, and ran with it really really well but I think that's something that is a little unusual for me that we both managed to put together really well rarely when I create a character am I also creating a setting for that mm -hmm. but, but mm -hmm. the Hatterai and Boric characters are so setting reliant right. and when I shared that with you 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 got into it as well and, and took it and ran with it and really way but rarely do you and I even really talk about shared setting um, yeah you know Itrian you didn't know where I was going to put you nope uh Quarian you didn't know where I was going to put you <laughs> nope uh, Frequently, know. I didn't even know if I was in the water. Yeah, uh, Tasha, <laughs> I've got no idea where where Tasha's going. Um, yeah, so Hatterai and Boric are, are different in, in that sense. Now, Lance, I don't know about you, but I find it really fascinating. You you know. I know a few things about you. Oh. But I find it really fascinating when a world, when you come to the realization that a world needs to be concretized that way. So like I brought up, Raskavan, the noir setting that I use, I normally would not sit down and create a city map. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's true. That really isn't you. That is that's not more my way. Me than it is you. Yeah. When I envision a place and I start getting some things in my head, before I start creating what monsters or things are going to encounter, the first thing I do is sit down and draw. Yeah, and I usually don't. I'm, I'm like, yeah. we'll get there when we get there. We'll yeah. figure it out. But this, there are sometimes things where you just, like, the world just says, I need to exist. I need to be something where the players and the DM all know exactly where they are. Because they're, and, and again, with that particular setting, one of the tropes of noir is that you may know where in the world you are, but you probably don't know where you are emotionally. So if you're going to be untethered in that uncertain way that Noir highlights, you've got to be tethered in a place. So it felt really important to ensure that you could say, I'm in the fifth block of this district, you know, which again, not, you know, not a big fan of maps. I don't like playing it like a board game. You know, so yeah. that that was unusual for me. Well, that's an interesting thing that you bring up as as well. I, I find um, that's one thing where you and I differ in our in our DMing is uh, I very much believe in in having a sense of, of space and, and distance. For me, that that brings verisimilitude, that brings reality uh, to it, and it's true. You're you're less concerned with that. You're less spatially focused than mm. I am. Yeah. Just as a person. We could just honestly well. say that I'm spatially challenged. Well, because I wasn't that say would that. be true. I wasn't going to say <laughs> that, but uh, you know, that's that's just that's just something less to me. Setting is very important. Sure. And I need I need lots of description to where I can fill out where I am and what's around me because I like to have that kind of VR experience where I feel like I can put out my hand and touch that tree that's five feet away. Or I can look over there 20 feet and that person's close enough for me to, at this tone of voice, say hello to and speak to. To me, those are the things that tell me where everything is in the world. Just saying, well, there's somebody over there and, you know, I have difficulty with that. So we're different in that way. And I I think that's interesting as we build worlds and characters and, and campaigns. Well, I think that's a lovely segue in you talking about your world building. I kind of want to know the same stuff. I, I want to know okay. the worlds that we're using mm-hmm. in, in this campaign set or in these campaign settings so far. Where did those ideas come from? Sure. For you? That's a tough one because usually I, I have to work at it a little bit. Uh, I'll get a little kind of like you said, but but something will, will make me think of give me a starting point. And you and I started out uh, a year ago. We were asked to, to be part of, of a different podcast that, that actually never materialized. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was creating the world for that and all the content for that. And I was DMing that. And we started off uh, with a um, starter get to know each other campaign, right. a, a one off in a Mesoamerican jungle. Right, yes. Uh, so Which again, was so fun. It was, thanks. I, I enjoyed it. And um, so different than the two jungles we have on this anthology, which is one of the things yeah. I find really fascinating about world building. Yeah, Sorry, absolutely. Um, but when I got uh, thinking about it, I, I asked the producer for what he was looking for in this. I said, what, what kind of campaign? And I kind of just threw out some random ones. Urban, noir, high fantasy. And he came back and said, um, I want an urban mystery high magic campaign. And I kind of went, great. And I turned around away from the computer and I went, what the fuck am I going to do for that? (laughs) And uh, so 
like I said, it takes me a while to percolate. I, I will get ideas and kind of percolate on stuff. Then I'll start reading and going to source materials that can be pretty, pretty varied from D&D source books to, because uh, guys, there's a lot of content that is, Holy that cow, is just so not much. mined ever out of those source books. You know, I pull, I pull stuff from those source books all the time, but then I'll, you know, maybe uh, I, you know, I'll pull something from two years before the mass from Richard Henry Dana, which is a nonfiction book written about, but he sailed hides to, you know, I'll just pull stuff from everywhere and I'll start kind of putting it together and then I'll draw a map. Yeah. And I'll start placing things on there. That will then kind of give me the relative, okay, where is every gonna, everybody going to be? And then kind of from that wide picture, I can start dialing down onto what kind of creatures are here, what kind of things will they examine? And, and in this particular thing, I came up with something that I, I thought was actually pretty cool. You know, uh, very much high fantasy, very much high magic that was based in a city made of jewels mm -hmm. uh, that floated in the air and rotated around over a blasted hole in the mountain, which was the source of all magic mm -hmm. uh, in the world. And there's a million resources that that all came from. But at the end of the day, you know, and I was pulling stuff from Sanskrit for names and, you know, so... For me, once I get that little germination, that little seed, mm. I can start pulling things from, well, do I, what do I want it to sound like? What do yeah. I want it to look like? And anything that I can create probably already exists in some fashion. In sure. The world. Yeah. I'm not that original. Let's be honest. None of us are that original. <laughs> right. We're just recombining things that have already been done out there. Yeah. Right? It's like pop music. There hadn't been a new pop song written. It's all the same all the same stuff so um but like you sometimes that that nugget will be but you know that nugget can be from maybe i'll watch something uh, with you or i'll honestly a lot of times what will happen is a a, a political situation I'll get thinking mm -hmm. about, and that'll spur mm -hmm. me to well, well this would be an interesting conflict this would be an interesting thing to put characters in so people situations like that go, oh yeah. that that would be an interesting and then and then i'll flesh it out do you ever find yourself, there's something that I just realized as you were talking that I've done a number of times. I haven't done it here on the podcast, but I, I do this in my table games. I will find a monster that I mm. want to yeah. use yeah. and I'm like, oh, well, if I'm going to use that monster, I'm going to have to have a swamp yeah. or, yeah. oh gosh, they're going to have to go to the frozen wastelands or, you know, oh, they have to go into lava. Yeah. Those things often inspire me to build sections of my world, especially when I'm in an expansive world that is growing over time. And I'm assuming that that will start happening here on the podcast as well, because I do know that that is a way that I grow worlds. You know what's funny for me? I, I do that too. I do the exact same thing. And again, dear listeners, if you run a D&D campaign or you're interested in running a D&D campaign... Or Which you, we highly encourage you do. Or even if you're just interested in storytelling and world building and maybe want to write a novel... I'm not kidding. This is not a paid promotion mm -hmm. by Wizards of the Coast. Get yourself some D&D source books. <laughs> no kidding. And don't read them cover to cover. Just pick through them. Yeah. Uh, look in, just look, thumb around. Just look through the Monsters Manual. Pick out one of the um, 
Mythic Odysseys of Theros, I think, is a great book because it's got yeah. gods, it's got settings, it's got races. I don't think you and got... I are ever going to actually play anything nah, in Theros, but in we Theros. go there for source material constantly. Constantly, I'm pulling stuff out of there. And you can take any of these source books, Volos, Morden Cannons. Yep. For crying out loud, I've gotten more ideas out of the player's handbook <laughs> than I have, you know, half a dozen other things. But yep. they are just great resources to, before bed, read five pages in the DMG yep. or Xanathars or Princes of the Apocalypse or, or whatever. And truly, with all, the, idea. with all the secondary supporting stuff out yeah. there, too, like if you get hmm. the Monster Manual That's and what I'm trying to say. You don't even have Cobalt to go Press. to any of the other stuff. Yeah. Just... All this, there's 30 books that have been put out by Wizards of the Coast since 2014. It's an enormous trove of information. And I think a lot of people will buy a setting book because they want to run the campaign that's Sure. Honestly, Which is great. we own probably 10 setting books here. We've never We're never going to run any, any of the campaigns in eight of them. Yeah. They're just, they're source materials. Yeah. We're pulling, yeah. yanking stuff. And yeah, so um, I do the same thing all the time. And I will, again, we shout out Cobalt Press all the time, but uh, I love their monster books, Creature Codex, Tome of Beasts, etc. And yeah, I'll be, for one, it's a fun thing just to read through. It's, yeah. they're, they're two pages, right? And, yeah. you know, you're sitting there thumbing through a book. Right. Yeah. Um, the Acid Ants. Uh, that's where they, are, yeah. Are one uh, that did that for me. And that, again, that, that other uh, campaign that we were doing, I created that whole scenario of stuff coming out, <laughs> tunneling and all that because I wanted to use acid ants. Right, right. There, can I just, um, I'm just going to give a shout out here to all of these source books because um, both the, the Monster Manual and Cobalt Press are really good about having things that when you kill them, they explode. And those things are amazing. And if you're a DM, you should be playing with things that explode because there's nothing better than the victory of a PC going, I killed it, only to be damaged by it going sport all over them. And it is hella fun. I, I, I'll second that, but I'll, I'll also say use your imagination. Yeah. I think we are an excellent example here. And again, we're not coming up with anything new, but everything and anything in those books you can modify any oh, way yeah. you want. You can reskin it to be whatever you want. Um, not only you can reskin it, but, it, but you can give it give it layer actions. Give it uh, uh, give it layer effects. Take a, a piece from that thing that you think would be great with that, and put it with that. If you got a higher level party, but you really want kobolds, make them tougher. Yeah. If you there's something out there that's super high level, but you really want to do it for a low level party, nerf it. Yep. If you don't know how to do that, go to Reddit. Go to Google or, frankly, go to Xanathar's in the DM's guide. Because they'll tell you. Because they tell, they'll you, tell how you how to do, how to do it. <laughs> so anything you want to do, you know, rule zero, DM. You'd ask me a question, though, yeah. if, if I do that. And, and yes, I, I do. Though I find that at low levels, I find that difficult sure. to do. Yeah. Because really, taking Quarian as an example, you were level, level one. Honestly, a simple CR one quarter giant crab was about really was going to cut me for two of them was about all you could deal with at level one yeah so i use a lot of the just beasts that are in the back section of the monster manual for for low level stuff um you know throw in the occasional goblins you know but again a hobgoblin will whack a party of two or three first level pieces sure yeah 
So you, you got to be careful with that. But yeah, I'll do that. Absolutely. I'll be reading through there and, and pull something out. Some of the higher level stuff that we've done together, I've just had a ball yep. winging stuff at you and, and so on. Well, now, sometimes you just thumb through and, and one of the pictures, even if you don't use yeah, that monster, the picture you just catches go, you. Yeah. that gives me an idea. That I know what to idea. do. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can't say enough about art in D&D as Seriously. an inspiration as well for world building in addition. But you asked me about the worlds that we're doing here. Quarian's world was a whole mix of like time team and <laughs> all my nautical things right. and ancient Britain and the fact that you said, I'm going to make a sea elf. Cool. So that world just kind of was a slam dunk yeah. for me to just throw all this kind of, and I've got a passion for prehistory anyway. Um, I mean, good Lord, that's just basically the inside of your brain all the time. Like, oh, an estuary that leads out to the sea? Yeah, Yeah, got it. Nailed it. With Neolithic people around it? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Etrian's world has been harder. Yeah. Um, Although I love what you've... Like, you could have put Etrian anywhere, but you gave her a world that is very logical for her. So... Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I don't think it's logical. I think it's logical to find her in it. the, The beauty, I think, the beauty of fantasy of any sort is that it has to have an internal logic. Sure. It can't just be anything fucking goes. The logic doesn't have to be a regular earthly logic. Right. But it's got to have an internal logic. There has to be a reason for why things I think that's true for fantasy novels, science. I think that's true for, for any storytelling. Whatever you're creating has to have an internal logic. Right. Even if nobody can figure it out but you. <laughs> you know. Uh, but I struggled with Etrian's uh, world uh, a great deal, and I had to do a lot of thinking, and a lot of reading, and a lot of looking stuff up. But once I kind of figured some stuff out, I made a map ah. and uh, went from there. Um, Princess Seventh Mandala, once I got the initial idea, and that, that initial idea kind of came to me. Obviously, you had your character, but kind of came to me from some... Uh, fantasy novels that I read years yeah. ago and, and uh, once I kind of had that that little click went, and it all kind of fell in place I love that moment yeah, yeah I do too when you go oh I figured it out that eureka moment yeah. yeah it's like a it's like it's like the rush of the ocean you know when you're stepping out there and you know there's a wave coming and then there it is and you're like ah oh, and it washes over you <laughs> and you get sand in your crop uh, we just went an interesting place there. <laughs> <laughs> so right. yeah, that's. Uh, um, I think that's world building, don't you? I I think so. I I want to give a nod here, though, to the fact that a lot of world building is heavily rooted, clearly, in character building. Yeah. Right. Like you can't separate one from the other, and I will say this: you and I, we. We have learned that it makes sense for us to talk about our duet characters right. before right. our first game session. We don't always do it. Right. Sometimes that works. Sometimes that doesn't work. But that when you take the moment to kind of say, this is the character that I've built, then there is room for the world to be built within the logic of the character as well. So there's a logic to the world and a logic to the character. But a character build can be really intriguing. And sometimes, not to jump back to Hatterai and Boric, but sometimes there's, you and I both had the same world in mind, 
but with different frameworks and from different places and it just managed to come together well and that what i mean is that you had felt kind of we've talked about this already before you felt a little blindsided by a few things that happened but i think both of the both of our perspectives make sense from who we are. Yeah, yeah. So as the DM, I built a world and I'm like, oh, you think this, but, and you are like, I am deep and meaningful and all this stuff. And then you're like, why is there a bird on my windowsill? So there, you know, that, that approach to where do these worlds mesh and how is there room for each of us to be surprised by what happens? Well, that's where the PC comes in, right? I think you've said two really important things as we're kind of, now that now that we're not really just talking about our worlds and how we do it, but kind of D&D and world building and, and, and storytelling. It doesn't have to be D&D storytelling, but storytelling. You've said two really important things, I think. And and uh, one of them is we can't build the world without the the without a character. I don't in, I don't agree with that entirely. Mm. I think you can build a world, you can build a milieu, you can build a setting and have it be full and rich, but it's it's just going to be static and dead until you put a person into it. Right. You can build it. It'll be it'll but it's all just potentiality until you put a person. Yeah. And then once you do, then it then it comes alive. Um and I I think you've mentioned something interesting as well for our storytelling and our podcast we are a duet podcast yeah it's just you and i except for you know some some bonus stuff um and the requirements the exigencies of of duet storytelling are a little bit different they are whereas if you were creating a jungle setting and there was a party of five pcs the backstory of any one individual PC wouldn't be as necessary to if it's going to mesh in your world or not, because you're just saying at that point, you're going, here's a world. You four or five people find yourself in. Right. And it's not so reliant upon the DM or the narrator and the player or the PC feedbacking, feedback looping and interacting sure. with each other. Yeah. Because there's all these other people at the table. Yeah. And they're going to make it work. So... In, in that respect, it's a little easier on the DM because the DM can just then let their fancy go. Yeah. And if they want to fuck with a backstory or they want to change something or down the road they want to change something or they want to play with a backstory, it doesn't matter. Right. They can build the world and there's this party of people who are helping each other navigate through it. Um, same thing as a PC. It doesn't matter really what the DM's doing because you've got all this potential with these other players as well and resources there which you, you can overcome stuff in duet play as you and i have discovered mm -hmm. the player and the dm really need to communicate a lot more and i don't think well actually we are i was about to say i don't think we're creating worlds specifically we are creating worlds specifically for one character yeah so rather than a broad pastiche, a broad world that a party can jump into and find their and way. And explore and, and make their exactly. own. Yeah. In duet play, you can't really do that. No. And as we've, and we've touched we've on this. We've discovered this a lot. Yeah, yes. And we've specifically Not touched on, on this podcast. once before uh, in, in a conversation we had on the different Talking Heads. But you and I discovered in a 
table game that we play duet with each other that sometimes you can put a character in a world and be like it'll be fine they'll find their way and then the character or the world grow different directions yeah. or both so like with perga mm-hmm. my, my dragonborn character yeah. you know she was a great character you built a great world but at some point the two diverged yeah. and they just weren't going to be the same thing anymore and it wasn't anybody's it wasn't a fault it wasn't a problem it just was oh we're done like that now now we've wrapped that up so i guess i guess we move on to something else yeah and that can be really interesting in duet play because you can keep a party if you've got three players at your table you can keep a party going until someone is dead from old age i mean you don't assuming they all survive you know yeah yeah but you know Usually a story is going to be finite at some point, but you can build worlds that people can explore and explore and explore and explore. And it's about the party dynamic building a story. But when you're doing duet play, there is a world dynamic that feeds into that story in a very different way. Well, the world exists for one character. Yeah. That's that's its only purpose. You know, Quarian's world exists for Quarian. That's it. Yep. Uh, Quarian's world wouldn't exist without Quarian. Unlike Descent to Avernus, where Avernus exists. It's it's all out there. It doesn't matter who's doing what. Any party of, of one to ten players can jump in there and do whatever the hell they want. Something that I've been thinking about while we've been sitting here talking, we kind of toss around the word duet a great deal. But the point that we're making tonight has really hammered home for me why it's specifically called duet play. It's not just because there's two people. It's because you really do have to harmonize together. A a duet song doesn't work if you're singing two different songs. And and a dance. You know, two people trying to dance together have to coordinate their movements. Yeah. We've talked a lot about worlds and world building tonight i just want to touch on a little bit we've we've really brought up again the idea that in storytelling what drives storytelling is character and setting they exist together Mm -hmm. reagan how does the idea for a new character come to you i'm not asking you how do you build a how do you build a pc well you go to the player's handbook no what happens for you when you go, well, I want to build a new character or you think of something that you, how does that work for you? That's a great and difficult question. Is it? It is. I think so. We're going deep. We're going deep. Lance. So deep. So deep. We always go deep. Um, yeah. So I've been thinking about this a little bit. I've been thinking about it a lot recently because first of all, I've built quite a few new characters recently but also and we're doing a lot of character building uh, yes. through roll it and play it and things like that yeah now roll it and play it has really challenged me in some interesting ways because i don't get to control right that right at all i just have to figure out how to inhabit it so i don't get to say which often i do when i'm creating a pc i will think what do i want to explore what would be fun or funny to play with right now? What is something I've always wanted to do? Which is Princess Seventh Mandala is a really perfect example of that. I've wanted to play a tabaxi almost since the first day that I played D&D. <laughs> but I never even rolled one up. Reagan, that's so basic. I know, so basic. Uh, I should have named the cat Karen. But um, 
the the thing about that is that I didn't want to play. Hey, Karen. <laughs> I'm Chad. Oh, Hi, Chad. I'd like to talk to your manager. My manager. I manage myself, babe. Wow. <laughs> but the long and the short of that is that I didn't want to do a tabaxi. I didn't want to be stereotypical in the D&D way. I didn't want sexy cat lady. Okay, so what you're telling me is you said, well, I, I want to play a tabaxi. So rather than have like a personality or something appear, you said, I, this is a player race that I want to play. Sort and of. And then you figured out how you wanted it to be. Well, sort of, because what I really wanted was to get to be a cat that behaved like a cat. <laughs> That's what really drove me to want to play a tabaxi. Right. The first time I saw that as a player race, I was like, that person would be such a jerk. Yeah. And figuring that out, because cats aren't 100% jerk all the time, I, I say, as one is Witness. sleeping wrapped around but my... But it is sleeping. He is sleeping wrapped around my microphone right now. But there... There are things that I want to explore, but I don't always, like, I have to find the right way to connect with them. And a lot of the times when I've got a PC that I'm trying to connect with, I'll have a few things that are like, at some point I'd like to do that. Like, I wanted to do a gnome sorcerer for a long time, because I like gnomes and I like sorcerers. But you, I didn't want to put that just anywhere. So the combination of, these are some things that I think I'd like to do at some point, paired with this is the place where that can happen and be interesting. So what I'm hearing from you is when you go to create a character, you're you're looking at D&D source books and you're going, oh, well, that's a cool race. What if I paired it with that? And and so you're kind of generating characters from, from that D&D source book play. Yes, and, and I know I always do that, but also I have a very deep background in um, fairy tales, science fiction, and fantasy. Mm -hmm. And so there are also character types that I want to play with. And and I like to turn tropes on their head. So for instance, um, this is something that I know I've heard other kind of, you know, famous D&D players uh, talk about. I'm not saying I'm one of them. I'm just saying I've heard them talk about this. Things like... I would love to play a witch at some point, but D&D doesn't have a witch, a clean witch player character. So where do you find those? Well, you experiment with this and you experiment with that and you're like, do I multi-class? Do I do this? What if I do it straight up as a druid? What if I do this? What if I play with it this way? You know, trying to figure out what is it that I'm really trying to get at. So again, that comes back to the source book, but it doesn't always start well, then let, with the source Let me source get book. to where it is. You say, I want to play a witch. Where does that come? That's what I'm interested in. It's hmm. not. It's not what source book do you go to. It's where does that idea of for Reagan, I want to play a witch. Where does that come from? I, I Is mean, that I, the first thing that occurs to you? You go, oh gosh, I think it'd be really cool in this game to play a witch. Where did that idea come from? Yeah, well, you know, I don't think that's something that I can straightforwardly answer. Not because I don't want to, but because I don't think there is a straightforward answer. Sometimes it's, what do I think would be fun? Or what kind of mood am I in? Or, or what aspect of my personality am I interested in ramping up to 11 right now? Because you know that's my approach to characters, is there always some part of you that you're ramping up to 11. And... What am I interested in exploring right now? You and I have talked about this a couple of times in some interesting ways. I love playing magic slingers. That's a thing that I love to do. So if something doesn't have magic, I struggle more with it. Mm -hmm. um, 
but I'm starting to kind of dial down as I think about being someone who plays this game quite a bit in what is there that I'm missing because I haven't yet been a fighter or a barbarian or, you know, one of those things. So what part of myself or what concept do I want to play with more to do one of those? And those are kind of the places That's interesting. where that I, comes I, I from. I didn't know that, that you're, because again, what I'm hearing, what, what you're saying is, is a lot of like, well, there's this class that I haven't done. Or there's that class or that. And, and that's fascinating to me that, that, that you're kind of driven PC-wise by, by that, which, um, yeah, that's, that's fascinating. Well, tell yeah. me what you're driven well, by. Because you love to roll up characters. You've rolled up more characters just, than I've, you'll ever play in your dear life. Dear listener, I've got binders over there behind Reagan. <laughs> Seriously, I, I have about two binders just full of characters that I've never played and never will play. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll get, I'll get an idea in my head. And, and sometimes it's for a race and class combo, almost, but almost never. Really? You, yeah, usually what it is, and this is kind of where I thought <laughs> it's fascinating how for the storyteller you're using D&D book and kind of traditional kind of D&D tropes of, well, how would I put together this fighter and how would that look? Whereas for the D&D player, <laughs> uh, I'm using um, storytelling archetypes to, to, to put that I, from something I've read or seen right. that's personality. So usually what happens for me is um, I get a person in my head first. It's got nothing to do. I haven't even thought about what class they would be or what race they would be. There's a person in my head, mm. and they're talking, or they're laughing, or they're saying something, or this thing happened to them, or I, <laughs> dear reader, I have a very rich internal life, <laughs> uh, and um, I'll have just conversations, flights of fancy, daydreams, where um, people and things will just happen and interact in my head, and sometimes what that turns into is there's a person I'm like, that'd be a great D&D character. Huh. And so then I'll come at it first and foremost then from the whole personality trait background kind of when I quantified that to a D&D &D framework, that's where I'll come at it. And then kind of class and race will be secondary. That is fascinating. Um, so I don't think I knew that either. Yeah. So Hatterai was really not about an elf. Hatterai for me was about this personage of a proud jungle personage who had this long lineage in the jungle but had fallen on hard times. What would that person be like? Yeah. In fact, and Hatterai was going to be some, com an some obscure completely, race. Well, yeah. it was going to be female. And something from Cobalt Press that I was hoping you and I could, could homebrew into a player race. And sure. We didn't end up doing that. But my latest kind of uh, flight of of fancy when tasha's cauldron of everything came out there was a rogue archetype mm. in there, the phantom rogue i think it yeah. was i've just yeah. i can't remember the author's name i'm not going to look it up right now but she's got a series of kind of fantasy sci-fi books um and uh the first one is called uh gideon the ninth it's mm. just kind of oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. uh necro and I can't remember the author either. I can't either. Whatever. But at any rate, um, these characters in here uh, end up becoming, and I hope I'm not spoiling, 
they kind of become blended. This whole culture is, is the necromancer gets blended with the warrior. And so you end up with this kind of magic user who's roguish and necromantic, but also uses weapons really mm. well and hides and sneaks. And this. So they're multi-classed. They are. <laughs> so this uh, phantom, I got thinking, I love the characters. I love the two main characters from the two books that have been published so far. And I got thinking it would be so fun to play something like that in D&D. And mm. I never put one together. But when Tasha's came out, I saw that archetype. I was like, there it is. Yeah. And I sat down and drew up a multi-class necromancer wizard and a phantom rogue. Yeah. Um, so that's usually what happens for me. Sure. Is something, and it can be from a novel or, or from something else. But a lot of times they'll just be... I'll just imagine a person and they take on personality and aspect. And then I go, I would like to play that person. Hmm. And then I'll figure, then I will figure out how to quantify them into being a DD character. Yeah. It is interesting to me that we, I would have guessed from the outside looking in that you and I would have been defined have been flip -flop. As, as flipped yeah. on that. Yeah. One of the things that I do find really fascinating though, is that, neither one of us can get away from general cultural references influence us both heavily though which i think i don't know how you play Are a you game saying like, that's surprising i mean well isn't that true for everyone i guess it how many players of, have you and i played with that want to create anime characters their favorite yeah, that's anime true. character that's true. play it you when know? you when you put it that way that's a really good point point. and of course any character that you want to play whether it's on stage whether it's in, in a role-playing game whether you're writing a story it's always going to be influenced by it's like i said earlier there ain't nothing new under ain't the nothing sun. new nobody's created anything new here yeah, so. that's a good point. That's a good point. I guess I just find it interesting to see what some of our influences are and aren't. Mm. Yeah, so. I agree. I think yeah. that's really interesting, too. And your fairy tale background is, is intriguing for a game like this as well. Yeah. Dear reader, at some point, Reagan and I are creating, uh, I'm sure, a campaign setting that will include my love of Neolithic and Bronze Age yes. culture and her love of fairy tales and fairy stories. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be fucking dope. So, um, <laughs> we, we already know it's coming. We yeah. haven't quite gotten there nope. yet, but we know it's coming. Nope. Yeah. I'm still in the building, building mind palaces out of the stew in my mind. <laughs> See, dear, dear reader, you just have to let him stare at the wall for a couple of yep. months and eventually something amazing. Let comes me percolate. Out. Let kimchi slap me up with his, <laughs> with, with, with their fuzzy, fizzy hand. They're fuzzy, fizzy. They don't have a hand. What does kimchi We'll come back have? to kimchi. I don't know. We'll come back to kimchi. <laughs> Not important. But Reagan. Lance. I think we've done a good job of, of kind of covering the gamut, at least for us, of how we build a world and, and how we start a character. Yeah. Um, and I think we've hit on some really important points. I think we've hit on the fact that whatever your pop culture or whatever your cultural references are, the guidebooks are there to, to give you inspiration, but they're also there to just help you take something from outside and put it in a framework. Yeah. You can There's play room anything. for everything. You can play anything you want to. Yeah. There's a way to shoehorn the mechanics onto yeah. what you want to do. And I'm just going to pause you right there to say this is something that I do a ton. And you and I have talked about this a lot. I think all DMs do it to some extent, but I take a very free hand with that shoehorn. I figure the rules are kind of there as a framework. Look, 
This isn't Pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean. It's not guidelines. They're rules. <laughs> but you can choose whether they're a cage or a trellis. And I like to trellis on the rules and see how I can use them to support my weirdo ideas and, <laughs> and make them happen in the world. Um, and, and that is something that is really interesting when you world build is how do you make this system that exists support the thing that you want to explore? And that can be really fun both as a world builder and as a, as a character builder. And I think that's a great place for this chapter to end today. Woo! What do you think? I think that sounds great. Yeah. Time to close the anthology for today, Reagan. Dear listener, thanks for joining us on My Favorite Cantrip. Thanks for being here. We, we love spending time with you. Um, no thoughts about this session today because it's a talking head. Our whole session I mean, has been thoughts. Yeah, it's it's been nothing but our <laughs> thoughts. I'd like to give two thumbies up for us deciding to shut up in a timely fashion. How about that? Absolutely. Two thumbies. <laughs> hey, four thumbies for us shutting four up. Four thumbies for us not talking anymore. How about that? Uh, and guys, uh, it is the beginning of the month, which means brand new cantrip going up what, on Patreon. What, what? So, Which make- one is it? I'm not saying. What? You, you got to go join the Cantrip of the Month Club. Darn it. Go check it out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you down the road, dear listener. Night, dear reader. This has been another Weird Mimosa. <laughs>